In our collective, busy buzzing as the bees, we talked this week of fellowship, sustainability, and sovereignty, with Rabsef and with Sikdev who have built on Urbit something new, in the realm of guilds or crews or groups fraternal, something rich and friendly and eternal. Dalton, which the world was lacking. Welcome, friends. Let's get stacking. Thanks for getting us on uh, Urbit, man. You know that was you? Oh, no. I, I remember giving out to a bunch of uh, expats in China, but I didn't know you were amongst that group. That's awesome. So are you under Tallweb? Uh, I used to be. Now we're under our own store. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the story, so, so I was um, back, I, so, so my Corona Chan story, um, as people heard about, was uh, I, I was in China for the outbreak in the first two months and then um, made a run for it uh, end of February and land, you know, got back to the U.S. basically the day that New Rochelle outside of New York went under quarantine. So it was, uh, so I landed in JFK in that situation. So then fast forward a week or so later, um, I'm totally jet lagged and, uh, getting, uh, messaged about this, you know, batch of urban planets that were going to be given away for free. And I had no idea what it was, but looking for something to, uh, kill the time. And, uh, <laughs> you very graciously hooked us up with that. And since then, I mean, it's like uh, crack cocaine. I think uh, a, a group of us did go on and um, invest in a star to try and see if there were opportunities to evangelize in Asia. But yeah, you were you were the gateway pusher for us. That's awesome. Well, I'm pleased to have done that and glad to meet you guys more in person than, than prior then. So you two are involved with Dalton, which is what I'm going to give you the opportunity to just tell us what is what is Dalton? Yeah, so Dalton is a an Urbit native, uh, for-profit folk organization, and we're focused on three core principles: uh, fellowship, sustainability, and sovereignty. It is a, or it will be at some point, a, a legal entity, an LLC in the United States. But more importantly, it's a group of people that formed on the internet, in this case specifically Urbit, around the Dalton Star to do a couple things, to hang out together and grow together, and also to try to make money and to try to do that on our own terms, basically. So you said there are three tenants. You outlined three tenants. Um, before I get to that, though, so Dal just to let um, listeners know, Dalton is a uh, an Urbit star, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's an Urbit. Urbit is a, or Dalton is a star on Urbit that is collectively owned and managed with an Ethereum smart contract. And as far as we know, it is the only uh, Urbit asset managed in this way. So you have an, an Ethereum smart contract that is something, is it a, a multi, um, sorry, mm -hmm. multi-signature multi sort of situation? Yeah. Multi-sig? Okay. It's a, mm -hmm. it's the, I think it's a three of five. I know there's certainly five members on there, but it takes three signatures in order to do anything to the star itself, which, which would be either tr to transfer it or to um, spawn anything else like that. Technically that's not exactly true because we have, we've set the management proxies and the spawn proxies to individuals within the collective, but any, any wider management or ownership properties would have to come from that smart contract. It owns the, the Dalton star. Was that a, a limitation of uh, a smart contract in the bytecode that you could do it, or was the abundance of caution not wanting to lose it to the blockchain, or what, what was that? 
No, it's 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 a more organizational and in principle the way we want it to be managed. So a, a multi-sig is very flexible. It can do anything an ordinary person can do. You just need a certain number of people to all agree on that. And that's generally some of an, of an operating principle. So it was very convenient, actually. It is a bit more technical than just, you know, holding it in a, a in one key and then having some legal document that managed that one key or something like that. But it's it's actually it fits well within our sort of organization and our ethos. So how did you guys how did you guys connect? Because uh, you you mentioned offline that you you did not know each other uh, before entering into the urban community. Yeah. So the origin story of Dalton was so I myself this is the sick dev. So I've been interested in Dalton in Urbit uh, for since like 2016 or so. And back then there was uh, Star Sales. So the the company that uh, sort of bootstrapping Urbit called Talon was selling off some address space and I purchased the Dalton Star back then. And and it was always sort of in the back of my mind that I wanted to do something with this star in particular. Uh, and I'd done a lot of work in the sort of the call it the DAO space on Ethereum, um, kind of cut my teeth on a project called MakerDAO. And so I knew that was something that, I, that that's what I wanted to do. And, and when I f- kind of really devoted my time to Urbit, that was th- that was the first thing I did was to, to sort of create uh, the, this Dalton sort of collective and then just start holding meetings and see who showed up. And that's that's how we found each other uh, on Urbit using using Urbit, like primarily. Yeah, and this is Rabsef. I uh, saw news. I guess I joined Urbit in, geez, I, it must have been late 2018 now. That seems like such a, no, 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 it was late 2019 or mid 2019. I'm sorry. I'm getting confused because of the change of year. Uh, but I remember seeing uh, SickDev talk about this project and I just kind of started showing up and and haven't stopped doing so to this date. And I think that's how I've, I've kind of been uh, inducted into this organization. You talked about three tenets, three tenets of Dalton. So can you tell us what the three tenets of Dalton are? Yeah, it's uh, fellowship, sustainability, and sovereignty. Okay, let's talk about fellowship. Yeah, so the first tenet of those is fellowship. And Kenny, you've, I'm sorry, <laughs> Uh, SickDev, you've uh, often referred to that as these precepts or these uh, core principles as in order of importance, right? So we have the fellowship, sustainability, and then sovereignty in that order. Um, And we really have started with fellowship as the primary tenant. Um, We have meetings that we all attend uh, once a week uh, where everyone in attendance is sort of part of the collective, or at least people who are interested in being a part of the collective. Those meetings are, uh, SickDev has, has spoken to this in our uh, sort of pre-meeting, but they were initially something like both advertisements for the project and then a way of talking through the project's aims to make sure that they were clear early on. And they've kind of evolved into more um, club-like environment meetings. So we, we join the meeting, we talk about whatever it is that has come up in the lives of those members uh, that are present in the last week or so. Um, and we kind of form camaraderie and, and fellowship off of, off of that discussion. And one of the things that I think we, we talked about 
in the offline meeting that was very interesting to me is um, I find it difficult to form relationships with other people, especially in this time where we're all kind of trapped in our homes all the time and that sort of thing. But even more generally, um, I guess I'm sort of discerning in, as to whom I'd like to be friends with. And uh, Urbit selects for the type of person that I find very interesting and, and very enjoyable to be around. And insofar as that's the case, and insofar as Dalton is something that is spawning out of Urbit, um, we're bringing very interesting people together for those discussions. And yeah, it's, it's a very enjoyable experience to have those conversations with those people on a weekly basis. I'd like to like dive, dive into that a little bit, yeah. because I, I think that you know, we're all on a spectrum here, um, but <laughs> that it, spectrum it, or just that, a spectrum? I, I, no, not that spectrum. Um, but I mean, look, I, I was talking to my Marxist uh, uh, uncle, who's a, you know a professor at university, and but he he's not that much older than me, so like fifteen years old, older, and um, you know, he he even was lamenting uh, how difficult it has been, kind of in middle age. Um, and I actually don't know how old you guys are, but uh, to, to form uh, friendships uh, and uh, relationships, especially with men of the same generation and everything. Um, and I think it's interesting. And in, in some ways, in the past, there would have been fraternal or quasi-fraternal organizations, you know, obviously an extreme would be the Masons, but, you know, other things like the Veteran of Foreign Wars, the American Legion, the Elks, and everything that was kind of baked in, and those are absent now. Um, and I can totally understand where the, you know, sort of reticence or inability to, to make those connections comes through, and you're sort of like looking for that to come from somewhere else and well you know that it that it's urbit is pretty interesting yeah we're like the kiwanis of urbit that's right there you go <laughs> yeah and and just because for the now we meet uh, in sort of cyberspace because we're drawing from sort of a global audience i mean we have we have people that join the meeting from all over the world from mostly from western europe and the united states but you know a, a vast sort of array um, but that's not to say that we don't have a goal to meet in person and just meet in person as often as we can. Well, I think when when, our, when that's legal, when that's legal, when that's when that's possible and when you, you won't know, kill grandparents by doing that. Exactly. So and hopefully that's that's that will happen sooner rather than later. And hopefully we will even have something semi or permanent that we can that we can fellowship in person and then, you know, sort of go back to our our homeland so to speak but we, we it's it's a layer on top of sort of the existing social structures where things were in in those older times those those meetings had to be physically located because that's the only option you had we don't have that constraint so we we make use of that in the best way we can which is to say uh the people that fit into dalton uh, they're from everywhere, and so that's great. But we also recognize that this is sort of a um, inferior way to fellowship. <laughs> we definitely do want to like meet face to face and do that as often as we can. What kind of um, social rules do you guys have for for your fellowship? Um, well, well, currently it's it's pretty it's pretty informal, right? And so there aren't any hard and fast rules other than just be respectful and be you know honest and interesting, really. Um, 
at some point those rules will become more formal as the as the group grows and matures you know we'll have formal rules of membership we'll have um, criteria by which you can be excluded from the group if you break those rules but and we have some sort of rough drafts of that sort of stuff but it's really too early for that to really be of great concern other than we know it will be a concern so we, we're, we're thinking about it now but for the most part the pre-filter process is really what holds the group together which is to say that um, urban itself uh, is is the thing we use to sort of get the right folks in yeah in the first place and on the idea of everyone in urban you know i think there's probably a, a predominant um political uh, affiliation for those people who are using Arbit presently, or at least something like that. Uh, at, at minimum, we could say that those people are probably um, have a libertarian ethos and, and, and are independent thinkers and, and that sort of thing. But uh, one of the things that is important to Dalton is that we are open to hearing the ideas of the variety of members that we have across whatever spectrum of belief they may have. Um, and I think that's really informative. Uh, we have a member who brings some things that, you know, let's let's say that I'm a, a real Trump of aficionado, right? We have a guy who comes to the, the meetings who has some interesting and, and damning commentary about uh, about Trump and about um, his his backstory uh and he he does a lot of research and brings that to the group and it's not the case that i'm such a, a trump aficionado but were it to be the case i would want to make sure that he still felt comfortable relaying those information points because that's part of the value is learning what you can from what information our members can bring to the table and, and maybe another way to put that is one of the social values that we have is that we're not easily triggered yeah Right. So we, we have a certain detachment from ideas. So, so uh, another way to, to say that is uh, it's, a, it's an expression, uh, strong beliefs loosely held. Right. That sort of <laughs> I <thing>. like that. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, that that's interesting because I, I was um, I was thinking today in the context of, of the conversation that we had earlier, but about the, the group and uh, openness that you guys have to sharing contrary viewpoints, because. I tried an experiment several months ago um, of creating a comet-only uh, debate room. So the the idea was anybody. It wasn't that that comets could join it. And so, and for the listeners who are not familiar, a comet is a temporary orbit ID that anybody can use. It's not permanent. Um, and it's so free. You, you, and it's free. So, you know, you can use it, you can try it out, but it's it's less trusted because it's not an actual asset. Um, it, you can't carry it uh, forward with you in case it breaks or something like that. But um, so it was not to enable just anybody to spin one of these up and join. It was just to provide, say, people who uh, had a valid, you know, planet or star address and messaged me could then get the address of this group and join uh, as an identity that was not their own. And, you know, I was the only person who maybe could have pieced together who somebody was by the timing of when they messaged me and when somebody joined. And I got a fair number of people interested uh, in it. Uh, and yet, like the one time that I tried to do a debate, I think the subject was um, about like the Chinese Great Firewall or something. But every, everybody agreed or nobody was actually willing to take a controversial position. Um, and 
I, I don't, there were, there are some now in retrospect, there was some like technological blocks to it or not technological, but like, um, just, it, it's not convenient to, uh, be in as, as your planet. And then as a comet, um, you know, depending on how you have things set up. So it's not as simple as just switching between like Twitter IDs or something. Um, but you know, I, I think that there was just a, a reticence, actually, surprising to me to to have an anonymized debate, um, which it seems like actually by you guys developing a culture and a climate uh, that's relatively open, you guys have been able to uh, get. I just want to say, actually, this has become quite a theme for our show, which is that Andy and I have at least twice, I think, talked about the fact that there is in, I guess, there is in, in Western society now a there are things that you can't talk about and mm. and and trust in expertise is sufficiently low that we have come to the conclusion that you can you you got much better information from anonymous frogs on twitter uh say about the coronavirus or whatever you were getting better information from them than you were getting from official sources and one reason for that one reason for that is that um, there's like an, an intellectual blindness that comes from this fear that you can't say certain things. Like, for instance, you know, you have if you live in New York in what was it, uh, March, you had to and instead of saying that the virus came from China, you had to hug a Chinaman or something like that. Right. I think that was the very un, un PC way that they said it. So, yeah, I don't think anyway, you can the, say Chinaman either. So, yeah, well, I, I'm not sure how they said it, but I seem to recall like hug a person from China or something. I'm just right, I'm right. just repeating sort of like what I, th I think they said something to that effect. Find find a Chinese person and hug them, which to me seems not much better than saying Chinaman, really. Anyway, the, the point was that you couldn't get good information because uh, the atmosphere is such that, you you know, there's sort of like a information blindness. People, people um, you know, you're worried about triggering somebody or something like that, as you say. So this what I'm what I'm saying is that Dalton's approach seems to allow or, or seems to to be a solution to that problem of I, I don't know what you would call it, like informational blindness or something like that. But uh, that's really that's really what we're experiencing in the West right now. Yeah, there's another element to that that I think is really interesting, which is you did get better information from some of the anonymous people on Twitter about coronavirus early on. Um, but then once it became a political issue, there was a lot of signaling and counter signaling about it that turned a lot of that signal back into noise based on political affiliation. And I think, again, we we avoid that outcome as well, because um, I'm open to hearing what is most pragmatically true in these meetings rather than what makes me feel like my side's doing the right thing, you know, uh, and that's a that's a it's a hard balance to maintain, uh, because I think everyone has these sort of opinions about what is the right way to run society, what is the right way to think about things. But more important is to have as much valuable information by way of or value being determined by its, you know, predictive outcome or predictive force. And it's good to have those those varying opinions stated in a an open forum where where, you know, not to be corny, but where everyone's friends and it, it, it provides some value. You you talked about um, related to this. I, I think that that uh, we were talking about um how Dalton is going to be successful and your uh, opinion of its truth-seeking mode, I suppose, is is um, pragmatic rather than, let's say, 
um, rationalizing or something like that? Can you, yeah. I maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how would you, how would you describe it? No. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much I believe in relational truth values anyway. Like I'm not sure that modeling is ever true to reality as if it were observed from outside of itself. Um, and I'm not so sure how much I care either way. Uh, what's important to me is that the things that we think are true are those things that help us adapt for future outcomes and better predict the course of um, important events in the future. So, for instance, it may not be true that, that Bitcoin is sound money and that it's the wave of the future and it, that it is the, the, the final statement in terms of, of monetary um, organization, right? But it is predictively true, and we can see that right now, if you're listening to this uh, podcast at the right time, in terms yeah, of the, right. the, 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 wait a week, right? In terms of the recent spike that has occurred, right? So it's there's some value to believing, or at least holding as true this this idea about Bitcoin in the present moment. And I think it's hard to find those types of ideas and to make sure that you're reevaluating them on a timely basis. But when you have a bunch of really intelligent and really interested people bringing their best to uh, you know, a sit-down meeting uh, once a week, you're going to get more exposure to those ideas than you would in just passing conversation with your coworkers or what have you. Next thing I want to ask is about, uh, let's see, that kind of covers fellowship and a lot of other things. The next thing I want to ask about is um, sustainability. So I'd like to know, what do you mean by sustainability? And first, tell me what you mean by sustainability. And then can you tell us um, how practically how what what kind of plans do you have for sustaining Dalton? So sustainability is really where the rubber meets the road when it comes to finance, I guess you'd say, right? Or business. Right. It's, it's the part of the organization that is for profit. We we intend to use this insight that we that we get as a group to our advantage monetarily. And to do that, you know, we need to make sure that our revenue is higher than our expenses. And currently, the beautiful thing about the Dalton Collective is that its expenditures are just about zero, like very, very small. So we can afford to be a fellowship. Right. And as we as we gain knowledge about the world and about how to how to execute on that, we will acquire resources and we will acquire resources together. We will deploy those resources in such a way that we'll have outsized benefits from any individual or possibly larger group. That's that's the intent or at least the hypothesis. And so sustainability for us is how we are going to uh, find <laughs> this alpha and deploy it and then um, share in those benefits together. And these are these are non non geez. these are non non urbit related investments, right? So you're you're looking to take this enjoy editing this, Josh. Um, um, <laughs> we are kid friendly on this show, man. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a family podcast. The um, but you're you're looking to do investments outside of the urbit address space, right? Um, it's not just about sweating, sweating Dalton with hosting or something like that. 
We will be um, positioned to take advantage of any information that we come across. So we'll have legal incorporation in probably multiple jurisdictions if this is really successful. We'll start off in the United States, likely Wyoming or Delaware as a blockchain LLC. We, we actually went with a S-Corp for a while, but then realized that um, structure was not suited to our needs. So we dissolved that uh, structure and then we'll reincorporate as some other thing, which allows us to have a bank account, which allows us to hold fiat currency, hold real estate, stocks, equities, bonds, whatever. Uh, likely we won't be heavy in you know U.S. Treasuries, but if that becomes a, if things change, then we, we could be able to, to do that. 20% yields. Sure. The, um, so, and our, our Wyoming and obviously Delaware is uh, famously um, kind of the place for uh, corporate incorporation and everything, but it, has Wyoming carved out a kind of blockchain friendly legal environment? They really have. Um, and, and they've done a, a bit of work on that. That's, um, but essentially what a blockchain LLC is, and, and DORG is, is an example of this, and one of our members is also a member of that organization. It's an LLC whose governing documents are on the chain. It, they just po- It's a pointer, basically, which is a you know simple sort of, at least conceptually simple idea. But for us, we, we would be able, since we already have something that is on chain that is doing governance for us, that's even better than a bank account, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not really concerned about the legalness in the sort of the old paradigm of things though though it will become more important as our assets diversify so we're really focusing mostly on the crypto side of things for the moment and and largely within the urban ecosystem because that's also the place we have the most information and, and ideas about but we're really open to to a lot of ideas when it comes to how to how to build wealth together and what are some of the practical ideas that you guys have so when when we were talking early about um, the, the the what we do in our in our weekly meetings where we sort of are able to have these um, collective insights together, that has great use for us specifically and how we either deploy our own personal capital or however we deploy our collective capital. Mm. But those insights are also valuable in and of themselves, plus all of the other things that we come across on the wider internet. And so one of the ideas that we've had is something we just call kind of placeholder now called the Dalton Collection which would be either a collection of ideas and links, writings, um, even possibly meetings that go over this this body of information and then would make that uh, available for others to consume without being part of the collective itself, right? Because being a member has different rights and responsibilities than just wanting to know what the members think. But that's something possibly that we could monetize. Are we talking about... Things, oh, sorry. Are, are we talking about, um, so for instance, how you would how you would set up Let's say I'm a star owner. I, I could I could potentially um, subscribe to the Dalton Collection and learn how to uh, set up a multi-sig or set up a um, set set up an, a structure like Dalton for myself or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And 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 more more than that, like uh, NFTs, for example. So Dalton is an NFT, a non fungible token on the Ethereum blockchain. NFTs is a very broad topic or a very broad sort of spectrum of things. And you'll you may have noticed like a lot of people in Urban also are very artistic. They'll take their sigils and they'll build these sort of beautiful works of art. Um, and right. those could also be monetized. So there's lots of ways in which we could use the the sort of the structure of what sort of Urbit's about in these non fungible tokens in a collection like format. Or even even to the point of more esoteric things where you could collect bits of information that turn out to be true and display them as though they were pieces of art on your gal on your on your wall in your house. Because you can display these NFTs publicly to the world, you know, 
as we find truth in this organization and then literally tokenize that, you can uh, make a bet on that truth. And that also helps us reevaluate those truths to know whether we were just full of full of it or not. Yeah. yeah can we can we can we introduce interest you guys in some waifu token? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've I've heard you mention this before. We'll we'll give it a good uh, right, thorough okay. evaluation. Wait, no, there are yeah. waifu tokens. No, I'm interested. Well, I have <laughs> I not, I mean not only that I have like forty thousand of them. Oh wow! Yeah, this guy is waifu rich. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you find that hard to manage? I feel like one's enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> you can never have enough waifu, sir. Okay. The, the your you it, it is your the the waifu token. Let me just. Let me just tell you, the waifu token is your access point to internet Japanese anime girlfriends. All right. So the more you have, the higher quality your internet anime Japanese girlfriend. And if that doesn't sell you on waifu tokens, I mean, what will really? Yeah, no, that, that's all you needed to say. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> As you were saying, Kenny, I oh, sorry, sick dev, uh, you were saying... Um, so we've got the Dalton collection. Anything else that is a possibility? Well, we've even talked to groups like 21E8 to, to, to explore this idea even further in generalized data markets. So even outside of the Ethereum ecosystem, um, I think if we have a, a sort of a Substack clone on Urbit with uh, some of the work that Tim Luck um, has been doing with the with Bitcoin integrations, that's likely where we'd like to start. We've also got a partnership with Dasfeb Industries. So hosting is also a possible um Thing for us as well and we're really keeping our eyes open and and looking for any possible opportunities and then the idea there is that we would break up into teams to sort of explore these ideas so one one thing that is important about making money and doing business is that it does have to be mission orient mission focused right because it's not mission focused it's likely to fragment and fail and because our primary um kind of directive in the Dalton collection is fellowship. These things are intention. And so the, the current idea on how to manage that is that we'd break up into teams that are focused on specific uh, areas of business. And those would be mission focused. If you, they would have a leadership of their own, they would have their own sort of ways of doing things. And if any of those members of those teams didn't align, they, they would be kicked out of those teams. And, and that, that allows them to stay focused and stay driven on a particular topic and a particular line of business but then you're always part of the collective you're always part of that fellowship regardless of whether you're in a team or not and we can allow those teams to explore and to fail and they're still they still have a home they still have a a, a share in the collective good of the organization and that's the that's how we plan to go about monetizing these ideas yeah I, I don't know, Andy. You might uh, you you might know who I was talking about. There was this. Uh, there's a Chinese um, CEO who has ha has gotten a lot of um, applause for uh, running his business in such a way that it's it's a bunch of little teams um, that that are not required to to uh, use one another as a as a resource. So they can use they can use a resource inside the company or if they can find a better deal out. So for instance, let's say, you know, I'm the marketing department and I want to do some, uh, I, I need something printed. I can go with the, the company print shop, but I can also go outside the company if I can get a better deal outside the company. So it's, it's run as these little, 
Andy, do you have any idea who I'm talking about or no? I no, I'm I'm very interested uh, in in hearing that more. Um, that obviously is is very that that would be a, like an extremely radical approach, uh, even in the U.S., um, but <laughs> certainly in in China, right? Um, I know, like I mean, like Dupont or, or not Dupont, rather, sorry. Um, Gore, the Gore company, which makes Gore-Tex uh, fabric, they they kind of they've had this um, culture of basically you know very very flat and whoever shows up at it, you know if you call a meeting and people show up, that's you know that's who has authority is whoever is is um, calling meetings that people show up at, um, and so you have some of these kinds of uh, interesting cultures in some places, but it takes obviously a lot of buy-in uh, and it does take, uh, you know, from those people that are at the top, uh, a lot of vision um, to, to buck general trends. It also takes a lot of talented people being aggregated in a small space. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah it's not for everybody. Right. Um, Steam does you know, that and, also. And, Steam, the video game company, game, or Valve, I guess, company. whatever. Yeah, yeah. They have yeah. the same structure. Yeah, I think, I mean, like Zappos, um, I, I mean, that is a sad story from the last couple of weeks, but they, like, they, they did something kind of similar. Um, you know, SickDev has talked about this, um, this effort, the Dalton Collective, in a way that I always thought was really interesting. And I don't think we've spoken to it here or recently even. Um, the Dalton Collective, so if you imagine a well-run town, one of the important things about the town would be to promote fellowship of the, the citizenry of the towns, right? The denizens would want to have good relationships amongst themselves. You'd want to have the town be sustainable uh, so that it can perpetuate itself and the good services that it offers. And you'd want it to be sovereign so that it's relying on itself and not others to perpetuate itself. Um, and Dalton Collective is something like that town, only the denizens are also the owners. And so we're sort of creating, we're, we're paving the roads for ourselves and, and building the subdivisions that, that provide for, you know, uh, capital letters, the good life, um, as both owners and recipients of the benefit of the Dalton Collective. Uh, and I think that's something sort of like those uh, self-organizing systems that you were talking about with Gore or Valve or whatever. Um, we're finding the ways that we can best contribute to the organization and reaping the benefits of that contribution. What is the what is your vision of sovereignty? How does Urbit help you achieve it? So we see sovereignty as a, a, fr a fractal phenomena, that it goes down to the individual and up through into larger structures of society. And so Dalton as a group of people is sovereign and the individuals within are sovereign in, in, in a way that is um, you know, pro-social and beneficial so that, such that these feedback on each other so that the group can create and, and strengthen the individual sovereignty and that sovereignty is then used to increase the sovereignty of the group. And in sovereignty is, is um, you know, there's a lot of ways to be to, to think about it, but we, we think about it as doing things um, on our own terms. And we think about that as is not being in a position where we can get be shut down, that we can have free thought. 
where we can act upon the world on the inf- with the information that we have about it without asking permission. These are all the sort of the core so the, the core principles that brought us together, even though this is the the last the, the third part of our sort of uh, th- three core values, it's the thing that brought us together in the first place. And that's the thing that is feeds into the this cycle that that if it if it works, it, it'll really ha- it'd be generative. It's because you you said that um, um, Urbit is the thing that that brought you together, and it's and it's it is sort of the thing that gives you your formal idea of what sovereignty is. So can you explain sort of how like the the form of of Urbit informs Dalton's idea of sovereignty? Yeah. So each one of us has our own pet P. We have our own unique identity. We have our own server that we are running personally, and the same the literal same virtual machine that coordinates all of those other machines it's it's like for like but it's being managed now in a separate way socially i should say right so there are different dynamics at different levels in social complexity but it's important to realize that um that that it that it is fractal like it, it goes all the way up all the way up into in this case like the largest things we have socially right now would things be like the nation states and those things you know they are sovereign if they can call their own shots right and that's what we want for our group. But we also know that we will be nested in other layers of sovereignty. But we intentionally act in a way that that brings us more sovereignty. And in the environment that we are in, in Urbit, it's sort of ideal for this. We, we, we're in a, we have a lot of control, but that also means we have a lot of responsibility. And it's really hard to do that on your own. And so we want to do that together. You have landscape, which gives you a certain amount of Let's say it, 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 it gives you a sort of formal structure for the way that you interact, but are there any other way? Well, let me ask this. Um, how does landscape sort of sort of uh, inform sovereignty? And then what are other ways that you can other things about Urbit that sort of inform the idea of sovereignty that are uh, extra to to landscape landscape? By the way, I should tell people who don't know anything about Urbit is the well, actually, Sick dev, I should let you tell people because you can you can do better you can do this better than I can. Landscape is an Urbit client. It interacts with your virtual machine to let you view it in a way that sort of makes sense to you as a human through a web browser. Right. It's currently being developed by a company that is for profit as well, Talon, and it works really well for doing things like chatting, for putting up basic blog posts and sharing links, that kind of thing. I'm sure it will do many more things in the future and we'll, we will use it as often as frequently as we can, but it is not everything for us. Um, um, uh, your virtual, your, your computer is capable of doing so much more. And we fully expect that there will be other clients and other use cases for our Urbits that we will fully embrace. But in order to do that, we need to know down to the noun how this thing works or down to the atom i should say right and and that's very much like what rapsif is doing with university and urbit school which is knowing how this thing works at a very deep and fundamental level so that we as a collective can operate on our own machines the way we see fit and if there is an over-the-air update that we don't like that we can do something about it or have a participation in the wider sort of governance about lower level operations of what Urbit is about and, you know, leave these sort of higher level um, user interfacing things to, to those companies that can do them really well. And we will use the tools that we want. These are, these are tools for us. We, we will create our own tools. 
Rabsif, can you talk at least about um, about Huniversity and sort of how it uh, coincides with your idea of, of being sovereign? That is learning yeah. Hoon yourself. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not a programmer by trade or anything. Um, and Hooniverse started off as this sort of just laissez-faire effort that I was making on the weekends to help some people who were interested in learning more about how Urbit works um, to better understand Hoon, which is, an, uh, you know, a, a granted in a fairly esoteric language. Um, and so we started off just kind of having informal meetings where we were talking through programs that I was writing as part of the ongoing Hoon School at that time or what have you. And it transferred or, or upgraded itself into something that was a little more formalized. We ran three sessions, I think, so far of um, sort of an introductory course to Hoon. Um, and we're actually, we're retooling it right now to try and target more developers and explain the benefits, like more existing developers rather than just newbie coders, uh, and explain the benefits of Urbit by way of demonstration rather than starting from like ground up learning of Hoon as a language. Um, and I think that to, to answer your question more specifically, that that speaks to sovereignty in in that, first of all, we're promoting the platform that we think provides sovereignty, right? Like the more people who use Arbit, the more people who find it as a valuable tool for producing their programs, the better it is for us. Uh, but secondly, part of the reason, part of the, like, the value proposition that's going to be expressed by this retooled version of, of Hoon School, of, of Hooniverse, is that your data is available to you, that this is a closed system that you can operate on quickly and effectively, uh, that it avoids the problems of dependence on the existing stack and so on. Um, yeah, and so so it kind of shows that that programmers who are interested can be sovereign from those other well from those other burdens that they may have experienced in other development pathways. I think primarily it's about getting people to use the system, showing the value proposition, and then also showing, I, I, to, to some extent, teaching myself that I can I can write Hoon and that I can do um, what's necessary to make programs in orbit. For people interested in Dalton, where can they find you? Yeah, we've so where people can find us, more information, we've got a, a, a Twitter handle. Uh, just search Dalton Collective, you should find it. We we post um, links to our YouTube page, which is has some some videos from our previous meetings. But usually, we, anytime we have uh, special guests that come to our meetings, specifically, usually to talk about things going on in the Urbit uh, community, either development or any any other topics, we'll we'll post those, and they they often can be really um, informative. So please do check that out. And uh, we've got a pretty basic website at Dalton.org that has some basic information about us. It's not really meant to do anything other than just sort of let it, other people know we exist. But more importantly, if you want to come check us out on Urbit itself, um, you can find us at uh, Dalton, like sig Dalton forward slash Dalton dash collective. And that's our public group that you can uh, join and uh, interact with the folks there. And there is a private group, but of course, that's for members only. So um, that's that's us, and that's where you can find out more. How do I how do I go if I if I'm on uh, your welcome page? 
what's the process? I should have asked you this. I think what, or I, I know you, you guys haven't really formalized this yet, but so far, what is it, what does it look like going from, uh, you know, the, your landing page or your welcome, your welcome on Urbit to becoming a Dalton member and being in the private groups and yeah. So the way we define membership right now is the multi-sig really. Right. So the members, members are literally the people who can actually make decisions. Other than that, we certainly have people that I would consider members that we don't have a formal rule for that show up on a weekly basis and are actually very much part of the community. That will be formalized later. But essentially, we are almost entirely focused right now on fellowship. So these weekly meetings, if you show up to the meetings, you're part of the group. Okay, all right. So that so then your private thing is, is or sorry, your private um, uh, group is more for like the very core members and then your public group is for basically anyone who's interested in Dalton to come start getting their their hands dirty, so to speak. Yeah. For example, the link to those meetings, that is private. Right. And we have to, we're not, we don't want to give that out to just anybody mm. because it, it doesn't change and we, we, well, we'll probably move it at some point, but um, we, we had, there's a, some level of trust needed in order to just get that link. All right. And, and, uh, Rabsef, uh, I'll ask you, when, when are you guys um, running the next Hoon School? Do you know? We're looking to do it uh, early March. So we should have this project that we're the retooling, as I've described it, wrapped up in February. Uh, and then we're going to roll this out in March. And hopefully it will, it, it's not going to take the place of teaching Hoon from the ground up. I think we're still going to do that as well. Um, but maybe an alternation with this like app building course that we're working on. And then we also have a, a tangential to our efforts is some of the work that Tim Lickmiptev has been doing in teaching Gaul as well. Um, his is, I think, maybe for a more advanced crowd uh, who's like more familiar with Urbit and, and Hoon generally. And his work is amazing. You should check that out as well. That's something I'll show. But um, we're hoping to provide like in March that kind of suite of efforts that that uh, we've we've produced that will give a lot of different entry points to learning the system. Sikdev, can I give you like a elevator pitch moment where you just tell us who are you looking for? Who should come find you? So anybody interested in in finding out more about Dalton, if you're if you're interested in finding truth and putting that truth into practice in the real world, finding good friends and you know generally doing things on your own terms, then Dalton is the group for you. Great. So find yourself a planet and come join <laughs> us on orbit. I always tell there people right at the end, get yourself a planet, come find us. Thank you for listening. Please visit us at www.thestack.link or find us on Twitter at thestack.link, all one word. And please remember to like and subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Josh, and with Andy, we are The Stack.